the box. Meet people through their music. With Ash Bertabez on FBI. Yes, it is time for that show where we get to meet an interesting person and hear great music. And today we've got Alicia Kish, who had a life working in music and media in both London and Australia. In Sydney alone, she's worked at Ivy League Records, Sounds Australia and Sydney Festival and managed bands like Megastick Fanfare and The Laurels. Then in 2009, Alicia had a radical change of scenery and she went to freezing cold Mongolia to help run an international film festival, live with horses and have her mind blown by the local music. And today on Out of the Box, Alicia is returning the favour, bringing some mind-blowing gems from many phases in her life. Welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. No probs. I think it's going to be a good one. <laughs> I think it's going to be fun. Uh, I've had a gander at some of your music. It is it is very various. What kind of what kind of extremes can we expect? Oh, I think we can go from everything from just sort of indie rock bands all the way through to throat singing and maybe some Mongolian hip hop. I'm just so overjoyed that we're actually finally going to get some Mongolian throat singing. I know on the I've, show. I've been waiting to hear it on FBI too. <laughs> <laughs> all right, and starting things off today, we've got the Ravenettes' "Love in a Trash Can." Now, why this track? Um, I lived in Denmark for a year. After I finished school in Australia, I did a student exchange and went back to school again, which is a little bit weird. Um, but I lived in a country town called Hanning, and um, I had a wonderful time. Learned some Danish. Um, Aqua was really big at the time. Barbie girl. Everywhere. Everywhere around the world. But there was another band that I really liked called Psyched Up Janice, which was kind of a bit more of a 90s grungy rock band. Um, and I just recently found out that Suna from um, the Ravenettes was in Psyched Up Janice. It was his first ever band. And I've always loved the Ravenettes. And this is my favourite song that they've ever done. Fantastic. On FBI 94.5, Psyched Up Janice is going to uh, pop up on the programs and playlist page if you'd like to see that, uh, that band that preceded the Ravenettes. And here we go. We've got Love in a Trash Can.
FBR 94.5, The Ravenettes, Love in a Trash Can, brought in by my guest today, Alicia Kish. Thanks for that one. No problem. <laughs> and you were listening to that track when you were in Denmark on Exchange. So what, what took you to Denmark specifically on Exchange? It's a very good question. I wasn't really sure about it at the time myself. I knew nothing about Denmark. Um, you could choose between a number of countries, and I decided I wanted to go somewhere to learn a new language. And I'd met a girl that had lived there, and she said it was a kind of crazy, weird place. <laughs> and I thought, why not go somewhere on the other side of the world and just hang out for a while? Yeah, and beer is a huge part of Danish culture. One hundred percent. How did you How did you get into the swing of things with the Danes? Uh, well, I kind of started getting into beer because at the high school parties, you would drink beer actually at the school. They were so, they'd sell beer there, like the Tuborg and the Carlsberg. And I kind of got there and I was like, holy moly, I guess I'll have to start drinking beer now. And, so um, they were allowed to do that? Yeah, they were allowed to smoke at school. It's kind of a, a wow. lot more liberal in the mm. high schools there. Um, even just relationships between people, I think we're really liberal as well. Um, it's just a, it's kind of a different approach, I guess. And I was, I'd kind of come from high school and, and things in Australia where it was very regimented yeah. and everything, and it was a lot freer there. Quite a transition. It's quite, you know, Scandinavian. and Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. yeah. All right. And um, so you lived on a pig farm when you are in Denmark. Yeah, I lived with a few different families there. I was in a, a, a country town. At the time, it was the 10th biggest in Denmark. I don't know if it still is. Um, and that was quite a transition for me as well, taking the bus for a good hour in the morning among all the kind of um, fields and things like that. And one of the families I lived with was on a pig farm. They, had, they were one of the biggest pig farms in the area. Um, I didn't get to see the pigs until the day before I left because they were in their own little piggy enclosure. Um, pork is really popular in Denmark. Roast pork's one of the traditional meals. Um, mm -hmm. And in the summertime, it was really noticeable um, that I lived on a pig farm because there were flies absolutely everywhere. And I just stand in the kitchen swatting them. It was like a little pastime I had just to see how many flies I could kill with my fly swatter. <laughs> so before you, before you left for this uh, student exchange to Denmark, you kind of, you know, when you're filling out the forms, you're like, oh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a vegetarian. How did that pan out when you got there? Uh, not so well. <laughs> um, I'd written on my form, actually, I, I, don't, didn't, I don't eat red meat. And I got to the first family I was staying with and... They were really welcoming and had prepared me this beautiful meal that they'd spent all this time doing really traditional and they'd cooked this beef and they laid it out in front of me and said, oh, look, you know, we read, we read on your form that you don't eat red meat, so we've cooked it really, really well for you. <laughs> so, of course, I had to eat it. Oh, lovely. So, you're vegetarian out, out the window? Vegetarian out the window, yeah. yeah. I wanted to kind of embrace the local cuisine as much as I could, so I was eating everything by the end. Oh, that's good. And so after after that, you came back to Sydney and studied journalism. Why did you study journalism? Did you want to be anything in particular? Um, I was in Melbourne, actually, and I studied journalism. I kind of, at the time, I was really into magazines. I think everyone else that was doing my course wanted to um, be a foreign correspondent or work for the ABC. And I was like, I'd really like to write for a, a fun music magazine or a, an entertainment magazine. Um, so I did that. Um, and I actually really loved it. I got into politics and I got into news a little bit more through my studies. Um and I ended up working for a, a dance music magazine down in Melbourne. Um, at the time, it was called Techno Renegade Magazine. It was a street press. <laughs> That's something you definitely want on your resume. Yeah. Techno Renegade. Techno Alicia Renegade. It, it ended up being abbreviated to TRM. Um, a new editor took over and wanted to kind of take it a, away a little bit from the kind of doof doof bush rave vibe that it had and move it into something a little bit more sophisticated. Um, so I did that while I was at uni. And I guess I did a bit more music writing after that, which, yeah. was, which was fun. So you moved after uni. It was all finished and polished off, to London. Did you go there for anything journalistic? Not really. I just went there um, 
for a good time, I guess, in a way, and just to kind of work out what I wanted to do. Um, the thing about London is there's so many opportunities there and there's so much going on. I think I just went for the experience as well. Um, the idea that I could go out and see bands every night if I wanted to or be involved in other artistic activities, um, do a little bit of work. I didn't really do work that was necessarily related to my career. I worked in a cloakroom of a gig venue for a while. I was a runner with a post-production company in Soho. I was running around dropping tapes off at different companies. <laughs> um, and I ended up doing an internship at XFM, which is a radio station. So were they, were they a pirate radio station in the beginning? They might have been at the beginning. Then they ended up becoming... Um, part of Capital, part of one of the big groups, but they were um, kind of fairly independent for a while there, I think. Nice. And you were working at a record store and we've got a track to take from the air years next. Can you tell us why you bought this one? Um, I did. Yeah. I worked at the Virgin Mega Store at Tottenham Court Road, which is a huge record store. Um, the first day I went in there, I didn't have my uniform yet and I was wearing my favourite Peaches Fuck the Pain Away t-shirt, um, which I thought was highly appropriate if I was working in a record store. <laughs> um, but I got severely told off for wearing that t-shirt and being on the floor. I don't know why. Um, so as a bit of a way of sticking up my middle finger at them, I did a little DJ set in store there on a Friday afternoon and played this song because it's got a lot of swearing in it, even though you can't tell that it's got a lot of swearing in it. So uh, that's your language warning on FBI 94.5.
out of the box.
very chunky sounds. There, from Graham Coxon. Ooh, yeah, yeah, his name of that track, brought in by my guest today, Alicia Kish. Thank you for bringing that one in and tell us why. Oh, because Graham Coxon's a bit of a legend. <laughs> um, so where might people know him from originally? The band called Blur. Oh, yes, that old chestnut. You know that, you know that band. Um, <laughs> yeah, but uh, I love his solo work as well. And I guess I picked that track because not only is he an excellent guitar player and musician, um, he also is the writer dude I've met in a long time. Um, I was working in a record store in London and um, he happened to be a customer there one day. And there was a girl that worked in the store with me. Um, she was a massive Britpop fan and she lost her mind a little bit when she saw that he came in. So she went over to surf him. They had a really great chat and she helped him out. Um, I was working at the counter at the time and then he came over to buy whatever he was buying. And he also, um, he was like, oh, can I order some, some CDs? And I was like, yeah, sure. Um, I'll let me look them up for you. He's like, oh, it's a band called Radar Brothers. I'm like, okay, great. Looked them up. We didn't have them in stock. And I was like, oh, look, let me just order them in for you, Mr. Coxon. Um, <laughs> I didn't quite say that, but I was like, okay. Um, to, to yourself. To myself. Um, and so I was like, oh, okay, do you want to come and pick them up? He's like, oh, no, no, no. Look, I'm just ordering them for, for Maureen, who works here. And I was like, oh, okay. He's like, oh, yeah, um, I, I think she really needs to, to listen to them. I was having a chat with her, and I just think that she'll really love them. And I was like, okay, did you want to leave a, a note or some details or anything? He's like, no, no, I'll just pay for them now. And um, and just, you know, when they come in, can you please give them to her? Because I just really want her to hear them. That is so nice. I was like, you are the nicest man in the world. It's romance without the romance. Yeah, it wasn't at all it's anyway. Romance, it know? was, and it was just him wanting to share some music with someone that he thought would really appreciate it. And Fantastic. I think that made him out made him even better to me, in my eyes. And thank you for sharing that music onwards with us. And before that, we had Yeah, Yeah, Yeah's Bang, you know, all, all the swears. Very all good swears. song. Thanks yes. for bringing that one in too. Both from when you were in London. And your your London chapter of your life seems a bit like fun, frivolous, you know, very kind of working in a cloakroom, working at a radio station, the whole the whole experience. And why did you why did you leave London? Why did you end your time there? I was forced out of the country, goddammit. <laughs> it's always the case. It's always the way. Yeah. I only had a two year working visa and I couldn't work out how to stay. I thought about getting married, I thought about enrolling in a wine course, anything to stay. Um, <laughs> you can actually enroll in a wine course at the time. In the you could, yeah. It was like a st- I could have gotten a student visa and I was like I will study wine um, <laughs> I opted to come home because I, I felt like I probably needed to kind of keep moving a little bit more rather than just try to make my way yeah difficult in a difficult way in London um, so I came home and um, went back to Melbourne where I'm from to my parents place and just stayed there for a little while and just realized I needed to do something else again I couldn't just stay still so I moved up to Sydney so you you chose Sydney over Melbourne and why People are often surprised by that. Um, I think for me, Sydney was a new challenge. I just needed to, to push myself a little bit. I found life in London really challenging, but really really rewarding. I think that challenge was what made it great for me. Um, and being in Melbourne, you know, it was, I love Melbourne and all my family and friends are still there. I've got a lot of, you know, great people there. Um, but I needed to cut myself off from that again and sort of start again. So Melbourne's too easy. <laughs> well, it's not too easy. Melbourne's difficult in, in other ways. But I think when you've got all that comfort around you and that support network, it's good to push yourself a little bit. And mm-hmm. I thought, I mean, Sydney's not exactly the most challenging place in the world either. Um, yeah. But yeah, I came up here and it was a bit of a struggle. I had a couple of friends, but not many. Um, and I just started going out on my own to gigs just to meet people and to, to see bands. Do you find it easy to go out on your own to gigs? Is it is it a weird experience or is it... Um, at that time, it was fine. When you're in a new place, I find it to be totally fine. You know, nobody, no one's... You don't feel like you're being judged for being on your own. Not that you should be judged for being on your own. Um, but 
um, yeah, I found it found it fine then, and I found it really easy to to meet people because I think they were interested in the same things and that you, I was as well. You met someone who uh, became instrumental in a period of your life. You went on tour with Spod. <laughs> now tell, tell us about the time with Spod. Um, Spod, I actually met through one of my flatmates at the time, who runs a record label called Rice Is Nice, Julia, and. Um, Spod was about to release his album Super Friends and needed some backup dancers. So as my you do. as you do. So myself and three um, three good friends decided, hey, we could be backup dancers. Why not? <laughs> so we all got together and started choreographing our own routines um, and cu- made cutouts of letters and cut out Spod and Dead in letters and <laughs> went on tour. <laughs> so is Spod easy to dance to? Spot's very easy to dance to, very fun to dance to, um, particularly when you've got a song called Dead and all you have to do is fall over and roll around on the ground and pretend to be dead. Um, <laughs> that's, and that's a move. That's a move. And when you've got a song like the one that I'm playing, um, it's pretty easy to, to make some sweet moves. All right, let's hear what Alicia's talking about. Here's a track from Spot called Cats. And uh, after that, we're going to talk a bit about that time that she just left everything and went to Mongolia. <laughs> FBI.
Of your town. The track that my guest today on Out of the Box, Alicia Kish, was listening to when she was walking through the streets of Mongolia. Not what I think the song is about, but still. Yeah. It meant something to you. Not really, but I did actually listen to it a lot and I kind of, it, it kind of sound, it was a little soundtrack for me. Like I'd be walking to work um, through Ulaanbaatar, which is the capital city of Mongolia, and um, it kind of resonated a little bit. Like it, it's a song from Brisbane, but. Um, there's this kind of darkness in that song, which I felt really was represented in Mongolia. And, you know, the butcher sharpening knives and things like that, all those lyrics I could actually really feel there in a strange kind of way. Yeah, you wouldn't expect that. No. <laughs> That's fascinating. So you were in Mongolia to volunteer at the the Arts Council of Mongolia and did several things there, but also ran a, a film festival. So... How did you get into that? How did you find yourself in Mongolia? It's not something that happens to everyone. It doesn't happen every day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's actually a program that AusAid used to run, which which was the um, aid arm of the government, which is now part of DFAT. And they they run a prog- ran, ran a program um, for young people to go work in developing countries. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are various organisations that they partner with in different countries and they um, have jobs for people that have some skills um, to go and do. So I... Um, I was kind of in a bit of a funny spot at the time. I'd um, 
been living in Sydney for a while and I'd sort of been partying a lot. I sort of had a relationship breakup and was just mm-hmm. going a bit bananas and just decided to get as far away as possible. <laughs> and um, and I saw that this, this job was advertised to work with the Arts Council, was in marketing and communications. And I said, how about I go to Mongolia? I think that's about as far away as I can get. And yeah, um, far away culturally, far away geographically. Yeah. Really, it's it's pretty far away. <laughs> it was it's really far away, and it's a whole yeah. lot colder. Um, and I ended up there, and um, it's a really amazing organisation that does a lot yeah. of great work with cultural heritage programs and um, artist development, and works with young people from disadvantage to bring art programs. Can you tell us a little bit about the history and the cultural heritage of Mongolia? I know that you know maybe Genghis Khan rings a bell in terms of history. You know, it was a huge empire. But what is modern Mongolia like? Yeah, sure. Um, I think it was 90 or 91 that Mongolia kind of became a free market economy. It was sort of a Soviet satellite state for quite a number of years. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's only sort of been in transition for a really short period. So I think the culture is really developing and evolving at the moment. Um, that was why I sort of was working on this international film forum and festival, which um, sort of worked to worked to build Mongolia's national cinema because there hadn't really been a national cinema since, since you know, in the Soviet times, it was all sort of Russian, Russian-dominated um, film. So, so, so they were they were funded and supported by the Russian state because they were a, a Russian satellite, a Soviet satellite state. But what happened when the kind of support, the fiscal support, was ripped out of the of the of the film industry in Mongolia? There really was there really isn't much of an industry, and I think that was what we were trying to work to build. Mm-hmm. Um, there were some young up and coming um, producers and directors that were working on new things. I think a, a lot of the problem there lies in the fact that there's not a lot of places to screen your films as well. There's some blockbuster kind of cinemas and things like that. There's not a real art house mm-hmm. cinema or anything like that that we have here. So those kind of sort of more experimental films aren't really supported. Um, you know, developing filmmakers aren't really supported in that way. So we brought out... Um, filmmakers and film industry professionals from countries within Asia and Europe to kind of work with local up-and-coming filmmakers just to build their skills and to to help develop that. Could I ask what Ulaanbaatar is like and living in Ulaanbaatar? Is it Ulaanbaatar? Ulaanbaatar, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, It's a pretty tough place to live. It snowed for eight out of the 12 months I was there. What kind of temperatures are we talking? Very cold. Um, at the height of winter, it could get down to minus 40, minus 50, I think, even once when I was there. Minus 50 centigrade. Yeah. That is obscene. I was there for a really hard winter. It was called a zud, and that's like that doesn't happen very often. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was mass um, mass devastation of the livestock um, there as well. So that was a really hard winter that I was there. There's also a lot of pollution, so there's a lot of smog, and it's really hard to breathe as well um, there from all the smog because... Uh, Sort of in this, in the heart of the city, there's a kind of like a, a sort of more urban CBD, but on the fringes is kind of it's what's called the Gare district, and Gares are um, yurts, I guess, they're the way of living, the sort of round, so kind of like a, a felt igloo, kind of like a felt igloo, yeah. I think that's probably a good way of, of thinking about it. Um, they're kind of areas that people move, um, they come in from the countryside where they've been nomadic herders to get closer to the city and bring their gears and move in, um, but there's not really a lot of um, sanitation or running water, it's really, really difficult. It's kind of like, um, I don't want to say like a favela, but like kind of um, almost slum-like, slum-like kind of area to yeah. live in. Yeah. So, but people there don't have a lot of money or don't have a lot of resources, so they'll just burn anything they have at their disposal, which kind of create, which adds to the 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 air pollution and all the difficulties there as well. So, it's a tough place to live. Yeah, and I, I'm re- referring to you know you brought in a song called "Streets of Your Town." The streets of Mongolia seem to be pretty tough, from what I've heard. I mean, I've heard through, I think it was Vice did an article, where there's people living under the streets yeah. of Mongolia because it is that cold. 
Yeah, I think um, for some of the homeless um, population, they're living um, underground is easier because there's the pipes that are warm. So the I think that's water pipes, yeah, yeah. So I think that's that's why some people do live live in that way. Um, so that's also another another tough thing. Yeah, you can't you can't survive those kind of temperatures. I, I knew stories about people um, uh, falling asleep, like maybe had maybe were quite drunk and fell asleep in the middle of winter and would freeze to death. Like that happened, I think, a little bit as well. It's that kind of level of cold that you're dealing with there. Wow. And we will come back to talking about Mongolia in a second, talking about the more traditional nomadic side of Mongolian life after this song, which I'm I'm pretty chuffed that this is going to happen. Mongolian throat singing on FBI 94.5. Alicia Kish is my guest today. Thank you for bringing this one in. Off we go.
believe we did it. People have joked about having Mongolian threats in an FBI, but finally it has happened. Thank you, Alicia Kish. No worries. I think it should happen more often. And can you pronounce the name of that band for us? Because I am not going to risk it. Yeah, it's Huzukten. Oh, no. <laughs> cool. And can you tell us a bit more about, about that band and why you wanted to bring them on? Yeah, Huzukten um, are mainly traditional kind of um, band. So the instruments that you heard on that, there's one called the Murinhor, which is um, a horsehead fiddle. That's kind of probably the most well-known instrument in Mongolia and the most kind of popular one. It's this beautiful stringed instrument that's played with a bow and it has a, a, a horse as its head. So it's an actual carving kind of of a horse at the top. Um, and you also heard some humi, which is a Mongolian throat singing there on that song as well. Um, uh I think I really like them because I think that's a really traditional sound, but they also kind of have elements of a little bit of blues and bluegrass and things like that you can hear in that music coming through as well. Um, I just learned recently as well that they went to London and were part of a BBC um, world kind of um, concert as well. So I was really excited to see that they'd sort of yeah, made that leave overseas a little bit as well. Yeah. So um, and they wear beautiful traditional costumes um, when they play as well. A lot of um, the uh, artists that play traditional music wear these immaculate kind of costumes. Um, there's another band called Altan Urag that I used to really love as well. But they sort of fuse traditional music with metal, which is quite interesting <laughs> as well. So it's 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 folk metal. But yeah, Mongolian folk metal. Mongolian folk metal. Folk metal. I'm so glad it exists. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And you pronounce those names so wonderfully. Did you find it easier to pick up the language when you were in Mongolia? I don't think I pronounce those so wonderfully, and I'm sorry if there are any Mongolian speakers out there <laughs> listening. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's a really tricky language, and um, I struggled a little bit with it as well. The pronunciation is really hard. Um, it doesn't really sound like anything else. I think the closest links that people draw are to Turkish or maybe Hungarian. Mm-hmm. Um, the characters that are used now are Cyrillic characters, so it's like reading Russian. Um, they have got a traditional, beautiful traditional script as well, which is sort of more a calli- calligraphy style writing, which I definitely can't read. Um, <laughs> but everything's yeah, everything's written in Cyrillic otherwise. Yeah, and you bought a little Mongolian phrase book just in case you needed to pronounce anything. Now, <laughs> I have, did. Have you unearthed anything in that phrase book that you that you particularly like you find oh, fascinating. not really not unless you want me to start spitting out different different names of weird dairy products absolutely <laughs> go ahead i mean it's, it's good to have a prop it's good to have a prop yeah oh uh, i can tell you uh, i don't think i need the um the book for it but some of the interesting dairy products that i ate were um things called um arul and irek um there's a lot of sort of dried curds is aral, which, you, you know, you think about curds and whey and you're like, what is curds and whey? I've never, ever had that before. And then you go to Mongolia and there's curds that you get to eat. Um, and Irak is uh, fermented mare's milk, which is traditionally drunk in the summertime. It's fermented mare's milk, so yeah. horse milk. Yeah. 
The, mu- is... the mum's milk. Yeah, never never heard of that. No, before. it's it's alcoholic. So no kidding. No. It's yeah. because the horses are drinking or just the horses of get wasted. They love a bit of vodka <laughs> in the summertime. Um, keeps them warm, yeah. Yeah, no, so it's fermented to a point where it becomes alcoholic. So it's That's kind of a weird dairy alcohol drink. So you your you know, cuisine experience in Mongolia, I take it, was quite interesting, especially as an aspiring vegetarian. Yeah, I like to be an aspiring vegetarian <laughs> regularly. <laughs> you embrace it, but gently. Gently, yeah. Yes. Well, I kind of feel like when you're going somewhere like Mongolia, you, to have a true experience, you really need to eat um, yeah. locally. and um, Anything unique that you ended up feasting upon? Oh, most things there are unique, to be honest. There's a lot of mutton in, in the food there, which I guess you, you, we don't really eat so much here. Um, I ate horse over there a little bit. Um, I ate bull penis in a hot pot. Um, cool. Yeah. Sounds delicious. <laughs> yeah. Camel cheese. Um, you know, there's dairy from a lot of different animals that you eat there. Um, I also ate marmot, which and was so strange. What is marmot? It's this little kind of rodent type creature. Um but the problem with marmot is they've been known to have the plague, as in like the ye olde, ye olden days plague. As in like bubonic plague. Mm, yeah. Um, <laughs> so you have to be careful when you eat it. I, I ate it anyway. Um, we were out in the countryside up in the western part of Mongolia, up near Kazakhstan, and myself and a friend were on a trip and we had a driver who was just taking us around who spoke, I think, Russian, Mongolian, maybe uh, – he spoke another couple of languages, but definitely not English um, – so we had interesting times communicating with him, but he, he tried to shoot us a marmot. So we stopped the car and he pulled out a gun and tried to hunt a marmot. And he kind of tried to explain to me that we had to be careful. We had to look for the ones that were fast because if they were fast, they weren't they affected were by the plague. They were healthy, okay. which made them harder to shoot. Um, so we well, ended that's, up... That's so interesting though. I mean, like at the point where you've actually shot a marmot, can you tell that it has the bubonic plague? I don't think you can. That's obscene. And you, mm. you ate it anyway. I did. You are batshit crazy. <laughs> yeah, we we ended up buying one, buying some meat from another family that we'd stopped along the way to visit, and we cooked it up in this traditional style um, called horchok, which is cooked in a big metal pot with lots of oil. That's and fantastic. It's quite delicious. All right, and uh, swinging back to a bit more of a modern take on Mongolia at the moment, we've got a track to take from someone called G. Tell us a bit about G. So G's a hip hop star in Mongolia. Um, he's also part of a crew called Click Click Boom. Hip hop's quite big in Mongolia. Um, and actually a friend of mine made a documentary uh, a few years ago called, called Mongolian Bling, which is about Mong- Mongolian hip hop, if anyone's ever interested in learning more about it. And G features in that. He's um, he's this really cool dude. He um, he was living in the Gare district that I talked about earlier. I'm not sure where he's he's at at the moment. And he kind of just makes music because he, he really feels a passion for it. He's um, fairly political. Although the song I'm about to play, I just got from... Um, <laughs> from a friend called Hisko, who's an, a Mongolian artist living in Melbourne, who's a fantastic um, street artist. And he's given me this new album of G's. And um, I was asking him a little bit about the song because obviously I can't understand all of the lyrics in any of, well, basically any of the lyrics in the raps. Um, but this song's called Mini Dur. And um, Dur, Durte means like, and Mini means my. So all I can assume is that it means something that I like. And um, Hisko basically told me that G's discovered weightlifting recently and a real, had developed a real passion for the gym. And that's what this song is about. <laughs> Fantastic. A track to lift to on FBI 94.5. We've got some Mongolian hip-hop on your airwaves. Brought in by my guest today, Alicia Kish.
Straight out of Mongolia. That is G with a track called Mini Du. Oh, you said a- that really well. Oh, thank you. <laughs> which is about him learning how to lift weights. Him getting really into weightlifting. Getting ripped. What a guy. He's also become an actor now, I've heard as well, which That's is fantastic. pretty cool. Yeah. Crossover artist. 
That's yeah. So we've been talking about uh, Mongolia, both you know traditional and modern urban Mongolia, with my guest today on Out of the Box, Alicia Kish. That's a that's a crazy year in her life that she left behind all the camel riding and horse eating and everything. Horse eating and horse riding isn't that weird? Yeah. Sorry, horses. <laughs> And she, you know, you left that behind and moved to Sydney, and now moved back you, to Sydney. Yep. Yeah, moved back to Sydney. <laughs> now you're doing things that are so far removed. I mean, what are you working on at the moment? I'm working on a festival for children, of all things. Um, <laughs> which is don't not, tell them about you eating the horses. Okay? I will not tell them anything about the horses, about hunting for marmot or <laughs> any of the above. Um, yeah, I'm working uh, Sydney Children's Festival, which is for kids aged five to twelve, um, at the Seymour Centre in the school holidays. Which is not really something I ever thought I'd find myself doing, but um, it's actually been really fun. So it's a it's a program of theatre shows, workshops, um, and some free stuff as well. So it's happening in the next few weeks. I'm quite interested to see what happens when yeah. a whole stack of kids are there <laughs> and I have to deal with them. Well, Josie, one of the producers of the show was like, I actually want to go to that. Yeah. Is there anything in it for people who are maybe in, in you know, we this have age a, group? We have a silent disco. Silent disco? <laughs> you can pop down. With kids? Hey? With kids? Like it's a the kids will be kids? there. You okay. can dance with the kids. That's I think so there's great. three different stations one will be uh, i guess sort of pop and r&b stuff one may be disney tunes if you're into stuff like frozen i the first time i heard that frozen stuff was recently um <laughs> and i'm not sure what the other one is but i'm sure there'll be something for everyone fantastic and uh we've got time for one last track and i kind of wanted to you know hear about that time in your life where this where this one come becomes relevant so the laurels when were you listening to the laurels um, after I got back from Mongolia, I, um, I'd heard them before I, before I went away, of course, but um, my good friend Marty was managing them and um, needed a bit of a hand with it. So um, I came on board to help him manage the band because I thought they were a fantastic band um, and helped them sort of to put out their first album, Planes, which is one of my favourite local releases. Um, so was that one of the first bands you managed? I managed Megastick Fanfare before then. Um, and then, yeah, then these guys. And I did a bit of work with Super Wild Horses out of Melbourne as well, which right. was cool. And this particular track, why? Um, this track is an epic, excellent track. Um, and I picked this track because um, I ended up making a video for this track in sort of strange circumstances. Um, I was living in a share house on Surrey Hills that probably should have been condemned. I lost my cat <laughs> down the stairs one time because there was a hole in there. Um <laughs> Really? As well, in lost it for good? No, he came back out. He okay, emerged like a little vampire kind of coming out of the ground. Wow. <laughs> he fell down there. Everyone has those share house stories, yeah. I'm afraid, in Sydney. In was Sydney's it? in the West, at least. It was a great, cheap house yeah. and, uh, yeah, the stairs broke. Um, <laughs> but they did end up selling the house and we had so many house inspections, I think partly because of the fact that it was about to fall over. It took them a while to sell okay. it. So they sold it from under you? And they did sell it from under us. Um, but one particular inspection day, we were all just sitting out on our stoop hanging out. And I was like, oh, the Laurels need a video. They haven't got any money. I'm going to try using iMovie today. <laughs> so I found a whole lot of footage online and just pieced together a video for them. And I knew that they were big sort of space and science fans and stuff. So I made them a little video with all this found footage and um, ended up being great. And it's on online now. And with uh, heaps of like, thousands of views. Tens of thousands of views. What you can do when you're getting kicked out and what sitting you on can the front do. steps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, that's encouraging though. I feel like I'm going to go make a make music a video. video when I go home for a band that I think needs more exposure. Yeah. Well, I think kind of because I've been working for record labels as well and I knew um, 
you know, putting money, so much money into videos and all this stuff. And it didn't really matter in the end, as long as it was something that really reflected the song well and the people that made the music. Yeah, you don't um, need a big budget. You don't. You can just do something yourself. And I know a lot of bands, Bloods at the moment, are making really fantastic videos themselves. And just, you know, as long as you've got a great idea and a will to do it, you can create something excellent. Inspiring stuff. Thank you so much, Alicia Kish, for coming from out of the on out of the box today. Thanks, Ash. It's been really fun. It's been an absolute ball. And if you want to check out any of the tracks that Alicia brought in today, and a few more that we didn't get time to to play, we've got a list of about seventeen sitting here. So it was never going to happen. Only so many songs you can play in an hour. There has been some great Mongolian tracks and some really good stuff from you know Yeah Yeahs, Go Betweens, Graham Cox, and check it all out on the FBI Radio website under our programs and playlists tab. And this last track, who is it? The Laurels with Tidal Wave. Woo!
the box. Out of the box. Out of the box. Out of the box. Meet people through their music. With Ash Bertabez on FBI.